Good morning, church. Thanks for being here today. You honor us by worshiping with us together as we together honor the Lord. So thanks for being here. We're going to turn to God's word together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8. And what you're going to see is how those words of Jesus, those instructions, that calling of Jesus shows up in the life of the early church to repent and believe. Okay, you're going to see that again today in Acts chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, you can. Why, why do we need to grow in our faith? What keeps us from growing in our faith? What are the signs that we're not growing, and what do, we, what do we do to grow? What do we do to grow in our faith? All right, let me set up Acts chapter 8 for you. Acts chapter 8 takes place in Samaria. Now, at the beginning of Acts, Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So you might think about it like a bullseye with concentric circles. And so the gospel starts in the center and then begins to move outward reaching new people groups. And each time the gospel crosses over one of those geographical or cultural boundaries, some special things happen. We're gonna see that here in this passage. But Acts chapter eight is the gospel moving from, it's already been in Jerusalem, it's been in Judea, it's now moving to Samaria. That's a really big deal because historically Samaritans and Jews don't get along very well. There's a lot of baggage and history there. You may remember Jesus tells a parable about a good Samaritan and the title of the parable is ironic, okay? Because they didn't believe there was such a thing as a good Samaritan. All right, but the gospel's transcending those lines that divide us, it's a beautiful thing. And the guy who takes the gospel to Samaria, the first guy to cross that line is a guy named Philip. And we're introduced to Philip back in Acts chapter six, when the apostles in the early church choose him to be one of the guys who takes care of the widows. And so he's given this like simple job of serving people in the church that have needs. And within two chapters, he's now a missionary evangelizing a brand new people group for the sake of the glory of God. And hundreds are coming to faith through his work. So it's really cool to see how he's been built up and prepared to be a missionary. I'll say just a quick plug here. We've got a brand new internship in one of our mission locations in the Philippines. So we're looking for young people who want to be missionaries, teachers, or coaches. There's a chance for you. We'll help you get over there and do God's work there. So we want to raise up missionaries here too. All right, that's part of what we're doing. So Philip moves from being caregiver to widows to missionary and evangelist to brand new people group. And the reason he has to go is because the church is being persecuted. Acts chapter 7 is about Stephen being martyred for his faith. And so God takes persecution and the scattering of Christians, this terrible thing, and he makes it really good. He uses this horrible circumstance for his glory. And some of you can relate to that in your own life. Okay. All right, that's all set up. Let's see what happens with this guy named Simon who's in uh, Samaria. Now, there was a man named Simon who had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people in Samaria. Uh, one of my preacher friends calls Simon, Simon Potter. Okay. That was good. Harry Potter, he said I should title this sermon why Harry Potter is the worst. Okay. But we watched Harry Potter at our house last night. So that's not the sermon. Okay. All right. He boasted that he was someone great. Listen to that. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them. You see that word amazing there? 
for a long time with this sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished or amazed, same word, by the great signs and miracles that he saw. And when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who are apostles, to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, why didn't they get the Spirit right when they were baptized? It's because this is one of those really unique moments when the gospel crosses one of those lines for the first time. So Jesus had given the apostles the authority to confirm this was from God. And so they go there. That's why this is special, but they tie the Holy Spirit back to baptism, back up in a bow. All right, verse 18. When Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see you are full of bitterness and you are captive to sin. And Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing that you have said may happen to me. And after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Okay, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here in this passage. We're not going to be able to talk about it all. Here's the main question you should be asking. Why is it that someone who believed and was baptized is still, according to Peter, captive to his sin. You see that? According to Paul, when we believe and are baptized, we are set free from our sin. We are no longer in bondage to our sin. So why is it that someone who believes and is baptized is still captive to his sin? Think about it. In fact, it is the very same sin he had been committing all of his life, which was the sin of pride, desiring to be amazing and powerful so that everybody exclaims how good he is. That very same person has reemerged even though he has believed and been baptized. And so when people, scholars, preachers who think about this passage consider that question, they give one of two answers. And the first one I think is wrong. <laughs> The second one is what we're going to explore today. But the first one they say is, the problem is, he must not have been truly born again. Like Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. He must not have been truly born again. So there was either something wrong with his baptism. He did it wrong. Sounds pretty legalistic, right? He did it wrong, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. Or his belief was somehow wrong. He didn't believe well enough. And I'll tell you, there's this popular trope in a lot of big churches, frankly, where every so often the preacher will get up there and tell his church, you may think you're saved, but you might not be. 
And the reason we know you might not be saved is because you're still struggling with your old sin. And if you're still struggling with that, something is wrong with your belief. And so you might not be saved, which is motivation by fear. I don't think that's what's going on with Simon. I think Simon has been born again. I think he has not grown past being a spiritual baby. That's the issue. That this is not an example of a failure of rebirth. It's a failure of growth in Christ. And how dangerous that is when we don't grow. So um, I was reading a book just this week, and it's about this. It's written by this guy who's been a just a legendary disciple maker, raising up people into life in Christ. He spent his whole life. He's in his seventies. He has spent decades doing this, just raising up new believers into strong Christians. He's even thought about it biblically, and he's identified these stages that people grow, go through as they grow in faith. They start as spiritual infants who don't know much, can't do much for themselves. They become spiritual children who are focused on themselves, even though they know more. They move to spiritual adolescence where they're beginning to find their role in the kingdom. And eventually they become spiritual parents who are completely selfless, only living to pass on the faith to the next generation. And so this guy's been doing it for decades. We would probably identify him as a spiritual parent. He has birthed all kinds of new believers in Christ. But he said the other day, he was having this conversation with his wife. The conversation turned to an argument with his wife and she was trying to end the argument. And he said, well, you started it. And he said, the moment he said that, it hit him. Like, who says, well, you started it? A kid says that, a child he was like, despite all my growth over the course of my life, suddenly that old immature self reappeared and it was ugly. The other day, I'll share an example from my own life. We were pulling into our neighborhood. I was, I was taking, making a right turn into our neighborhood. My whole family's in the car. So I'm turning, making a right turn into the neighborhood and the guy's coming this way in a big truck and he's not paying attention. And he's drifting over towards my side. So I'm trying to turn in and he's drifting over towards me. He's coming straight towards me and my family. And so I give him a couple of the love tap honks, you know, just like the, hey, beep, 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 just trying to get your attention, you know, not the, ah, ah. Uh, I give him a couple of love taps and he swerves over and he comes by me and he goes, what, what? I'll tell you, there's nothing worse than another driver being wrong and thinking it's you. You know, there's nothing worse than that. So you know what I did? <clears throat> I didn't, I was like, I love you with the love of the Lord. No, I did not do that. I stopped, I put it in park, and I said, what are you doing? This is you. I got my family in this car, what are you doing? And instantly my heart rate is, you know, going through the roof, you know what I'm talking about? And I don't know what would have happened if Lindsay didn't say, drive, drive home, okay? And I'm driving home and my heart is like, I'm calming down a little bit. <clears throat> By the time I get home, I look over at Lindsay and I said, I thought that Eric was dead. That Eric of my adolescence, when I was, uh, had 20 pounds more muscle on me and was ready to fight anybody, like I thought that guy was dead and that old self reemerged. <clears throat> now think about it with me. 
um, this disciple maker who's been doing this forever, he's pretty spiritually mature. And I like to think that I'm not a spiritual baby anymore. I'm not as spiritual as that guy who's a hero of mine. I like to think I'm not a baby anymore. But what if he and I were spiritual infants when that old self reemerged? What might happen? That's really the story of what's going on with Simon because he is a spiritual baby. He's a spiritual baby. And the old self comes back in. So this is why we can't stay spiritual babies. And that's the word Paul uses, infants. This is why we have to grow in our faith. But we wonder, how do I grow in my faith? Well, Jesus talks about that, okay? We believe how you grow is the Holy Spirit. But we also believe that what contributes to your growth is your soil. The soil in which the Holy Spirit operates and brings life to you. And we get this from Jesus. Jesus talks about this in Luke chapter 8. He tells a parable. Let me summarize it. He tells a parable about this farmer who goes out and scatters seed on all different kinds of soil. You remember this? He scatters on one kind of soil, and the soil's so hard, the seed can't even penetrate it, and the seed is the Word of God, and so the plant never takes root or grows there. It just stays on the soil, never gets in. And then he goes and he casts the seed on a soil that's kind of rocky and shallow, and sure enough, the plant takes root, and, takes root, and the plant is belief, faith, but its root's really shallow, and it grows up, and then eventually it just falls over. It can't stand up. But then the third one, and this is the one we got to pay attention to. This seed is cast in some soil that seems good, and the plant grows up. It seems strong, but then what happens? Weeds grow up beside it, and they begin to choke out the plant. And Jesus says those weeds are the desires of life, or basically the old self. The thing you thought was dead creeping back in because the soil has gone bad and choking out the plant. But then lastly, he talks about the fourth soil, and this is what he says. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, and that's the most important word there, persevering, the soil of the heart stays good, who by persevering produce a crop. Now, Okay, our growth is, is two factors, the Holy Spirit and our soil, the heart. And so when Peter diagnoses Simon's problem, his failure to grow, what does he point to? Look at this. When Peter rebukes Simon, he says, because your heart is not right before God. It's a problem of his soil. It's not a problem of the Holy Spirit or his belief. It is a problem of his heart, that his heart has gone bad. Lindsay and I, when we got married, for the life of us, we could not keep a plant that we planted alive. Every single one of them would die. We had this great streak. We were batting a thousand at killing plants, okay? Um, But recently, Lindsay's been studying this a lot. She loves plants so much, and she's gotten really good at keeping plants alive. In fact, just yesterday, she was like, Eric, look at this new leaf on our plant, okay? And that was the moment I realized I'm getting old, okay? When When you watch birds, and when you get excited about new leaves on your indoor plants, you are getting old, right? Okay, and so we're getting old. One of the things we've learned, and she's learned this, is that it's all about taking care of the soil. 
How many of you have had those little gnats in your house from a plant that's gone bad? You know what I'm talking about? You have these gnats flying around. You can't figure out where it was. The exterminator comes over. We have no idea where these gnats are coming from. We think we're just dirty. You know what I'm talking about? And sure enough, he's like, where's the closest plant? And he sticks his finger in there and the soil's bad. And so the gnats have taken root in the soil. And so the gnats are this signal that the soil has gone bad. Now, here's what Lindsay and I can't control. We cannot control the sunlight. You know, we work the soil we put those plants in the windowsill and the sunlight comes from God and those plants need, need the sunlight. And that's like how we grow in Christ. The spirit, which comes from God, Jesus says it blows where it will. We cannot control it. And yet it produces fruit in our life. It causes us to grow. But what can we control? The heart. The soil in which that plant is taken root. Okay, so how do I work my soil? How do I tend the heart? That's what you got to ask yourself. So Peter, when he diagnoses Simon's problem, he also gives him a prescription. So that's great anytime that happens. This is what he says. Look with me here in verses 21 to 22. Here's the problem. Your heart, your soil, is not right before God. So repent of this wickedness. Repent of this wickedness, pay attention to that, and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. All right, so he says, the problem is your soil. If you're going to work that soil and keep this plant from dying, what you have to do, your part, is two things, repent and pray. Okay, so what that should remind you of, and I shared this with you back in August, and so um, I'm sure you remember it very well. Uh, I shared it back with you in August. When Jesus comes, the first thing that he says when he announces the arrival of the kingdom, he says that what you need to do are two things, repent and believe. Remember this? This is from Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So what? Repent and believe the good news. It's a two-step process. And do you hear the same language in what Peter diagnoses? Repent and pray. What is pray? An expression of belief. I trust you, God, to handle this. That's what prayer is. You hear it? It's the same two steps. And so we, we made this little diagram, and you may remember this from August, that this is what spiritual growth, your part, controlling the soil, looks like. It's this daily process of repenting for myself as king, that old self that's reemerging in Simon's life, that old self that reemerged in mine on the road home to my house the other night. I'm going to deny that self. I'm going to kill that self every time it tries to reemerge in my life so that I can make a 90-degree turn where I then pray and believe and trust in God for the full 180-degree turn. The problem is we live in a world where the self is king when we should be living in a world where God is king, the world that he has made, right? And so to move from a world where I'm my own king to a world where God is king is not one 180-degree turn, it's two 90-degree turns. I repent and then believe and pray. And then the reason you see those red arrows there is that even as I'm growing in Christ, my old self is going to try to rise from the dead. He's gonna to try to reemerge in my life. The same sins I struggled with before are gonna to try to come back in my life, but now I have the ability to identify those things and count them dead, as Paul says. Count them dead, deny them. 
I was sharing this graphic at Harding Academy the other day where my kids go to school and I was sharing it at their chapel and we were talking through this because this is the same graphic I work through with anybody who's thinking about giving their life to Jesus in baptism or anybody who's struggling pastorally. We often talk about what are you not repenting of? And so at Harding, we were talking through what does repentance look like? And I reminded them what Jesus says. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must, anybody remember? Anybody who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. And at Harding, I got to that point and I was like, whoever wants to be my disciple must, and this boy shouts out, deny themselves. And I was like, yeah, man, tell me what your name is. And then he just looked at me dumb. Like he couldn't remember his name. And uh, I love that because he's lost himself so fully in God's word, he can't even find himself anymore, right? Actually, I think he was just embarrassed and didn't expect me to call on him after that. But I love, yeah, like that's what it means to repent is to daily deny yourself. Deny yourself. That's how I work the soil of my heart so that I can grow. You know, so I'll tell you, you know, after that drive home and Lindsay confirmed, it was kind of with me for a couple of days of like, I can't believe that old Eric came back. I thought he was totally gone. And sure enough, there was re-emerging. And so now, though, because I am growing in my faith, I see it and I can repent of it, deny it, turn that thing over to the Lord and seek his forgiveness. And I did that. Okay. So this is um, how we grow in our faith, our part. We work the soil. The Spirit provides the growth. God provides the growth, we work the soil of the heart, we tend the heart. Now, well, let me talk about the tragedy, the real tragedy of this story, and what happens if you don't tend the heart. For the record, according to church history, not according to the biblical account, according to church history, Simon does not take Peter's advice and repent. And because he's a spiritual infant when this happens and he doesn't have far to fall, he falls away from his faith. And he is called in church tradition, Simon the sorcerer is called the father of all heretics. In fact, he gets a sin named after him called simony, which is selling holy things which shouldn't be sold. You don't want a sin named after you. Like that dude committed a real Eric over there. That would be bad. It's probably going to be a driving uh, sin, if I had to guess. Okay. Um, But let's just, the the biblical account doesn't have that. According to the biblical account, it kind of looks like he realizes he's in the wrong, even though he's a spiritual baby. But, But this is the real tragedy. Even if you didn't fall away totally from your faith, even if you just stayed a spiritual infant your whole life, let me, it's the real tragedy is like, um, misdirected focus. So if you look back through this story, and I pointed this out, do you notice how many times it talked about the people were amazed, amazed, amazed? They're amazed by Simon. Simon's then amazed by the apostles. How many times you see that word power or ability that Simon wants the power and ability that the apostles have so that he can be amazing like he used to be. It's the old self that's coming back here. You see that happening here. This is a real example of the signs and wonders of God that we experience in our life. The miracles, signs, wonders, the 
the glorious things, the things we pray for to happen in our lives, this is a real example of our tendency to want and focus on those things rather than the one to whom those signs and wonders point and what he has done for us. That's what we see in Simon, and maybe that's where you see yourself in this story, is that Simon has become obsessed with the power of God in his life rather than God himself and what God has done for him through Jesus Christ. I I heard this example recently, it's not my own, but it's really captured Simon and maybe some of us to a degree. Imagine moms in the room. Imagine that you had your baby in your arms, your, your infant child. And maybe you're sitting at the dinner table and you're playing with some toys on the dinner table and that little baby's grabbing those toys and sticking them in his mouth or whatever it is. And then on the windowsill is this beautiful bird. This beautiful bird just lands on the windowsill. And so mom points to the bird and she's trying to get her baby to look at the bird. But where does the baby look? In mom's hand. And the baby reaches up to mom's hand and tries to grab mom's hand and put mom's hand in his mouth, you know. And the baby might even try to make a sign himself and just impress mom that he can point with his finger too. And the whole time outside the window is this beautiful bird that mom wants the baby to see and all baby can see is mom's hand pointing. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's the tragedy of failing to grow in Christ is that you and I settle for the things that we're praying for. And those are things that we long for with all of our hearts. We settle for signs and wonders from God. And those are great and glorious when he gives them, when what is God is actually calling us to see is so much more beautiful than that. What God is calling us to see is that we are ugly in our sin. We are dead in our sin, but Jesus Christ gave himself so that we might be freed and forgiven and brought to life. And that is so much more beautiful than anything else we can experience in this world is what God has already done for us in Jesus. And that should be enough to satisfy, enough to make us want to work our soil and grow in him. But when we stay infants, we miss it. We miss it. And so my prayer, my prayer for you as you go today, and we're going to go to Bible class here in a moment, my prayer for you is that you would desire to grow in Christ. That you would move beyond infancy or childhood or adolescence and become this spiritual parent whose sole desire is to see God glorified above all and to celebrate what he has done for you in Christ. That would be maturity, wouldn't it? Let me pray for you. God, I pray for your church that's gathered here this morning. I pray for those who are watching online with us. What a joy to have them. God, the people here in this room are here because they desire to grow in you and in your son, Jesus Christ. Would you, by the power of your spirit, produce fruit in their lives? But God, would you also help them to tend their hearts, to deny the self, and to trust and believe fully in you as king of their life? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.